Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. And is that Sarah? Do I just detect a sweat on your brow? You do, Maybe do, a little do. endorphins coursing through your veins? That, that is what it is. It is endorphins. I had forgotten what a powerful drug it is. Oh. Uh, I got the clearance last week as we're recording this um, to be able to start walking in a pool, doing light spinning on a bike, um, a drive, uh, see a PT, stop sleeping in my boot, all, um, all causes for celebration. Celebrate good times. Come, Come on. on. Yeah. So, um, so then I promptly headed to Chicago, um, to give a talk at a, um, event and so stayed at a hotel that had a surprisingly nice gym you know I was kind of envisioning like the small really warm you know kind of low ceiling that whole thing and it was uh, quite spacious and had some good weights and so went down there decked out head to toe in Saucony and I so hashtag AMR in Saucony and I got on the bike with that and I was wearing two shoes oh my goodness um, that just feel like so odd it was to put, to put your right shoe on oh yeah oh my gosh and so you know um you might this might come as a surprise but I have several pairs of running shoes and so when I went to go to pack I um pulled out a pair from I'd, I'd stashed them in a um kind of like plastic Tupperware tub because I just was like, oh, I don't want to look at these every day. And so I, the first pair I came upon, I was like, huh, that's odd. This left one is still tied, but then the right one has been loosened up a whole bunch and and there's a belega sock in it. And I was like, oh yeah, those are the shoes I was wearing when I had my accident. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, okay, I could either never wear them again or I could just say, nope, getting back up on that horse. So those were the ones I packed to take to Chicago. Yeehaw. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and even wore the same sock. It was very clean. <laughs> and, um, uh, so, yeah, real delight to put those on. And um, How did it feel? Uh, I mean, not putting on the shoes, but yeah. being on the bike. Did uh, your ankle hurt? Oh, no. Oh, no. I've had so, I've been very, very fortunate. I've had so little pain and... Um, so, and I had done, uh, you know, the, the exercises that the PT gave me. And so I had really, um, kind of limbered up my ankle a little bit and, um, worked on my toes and things like that. And so, um, and I did not use the straps on the, I sat on a recumbent bike so that I was as low weight bearing as possible. And I did not put this, you know, there were no straps to be found in the gym, but, um, you know, not those, um, across your feet, across the feet. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we're not talking 50 shades of gray. And, um, and then, uh, so, oh my gosh. Like, and then I just was like Instagramming and tweeting. I know. I was like, okay, texting. So there's Sarah's shoes. There's Sarah's, uh, yeah. Sarah, her like outfit. There's Sarah pedaling on the bike. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. But, you know, maybe that's, that's probably enough. Three is yeah. enough. Yeah. And so then, but then of course, you know, then a couple of people texted me because they'd seen it and all this stuff. And I just was so excited. And, um, yeah. And then I did actually, um, a lot of upper body weights, um, there and um, some ab stuff. And so it was just, I mean, oh my gosh, it was a delight. Um, I was, I was contemplating walking in a pool. They had a pool on the um, fifth floor. So kind of overlooking a little bit of the city. And I don't know, it just, it, it just, well, finally, when I went out there, I was going to do it on Monday and it was raining. And I'm like, okay, that's not the way to kick things off with the oh, walking. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm headed, uh, taking the kids, um, 
out to see my parents and uh, my parents next door neighbors have a pool and they are both avid runners. And um, so they have um, aqua jogger belt and some of those, even those hand things that people use in the pool while running that kind of add some resistance to the upper body. So I think I'm going to be well set up there and just have to walk next door instead of driving to a gym or something so I can spend more time with my parents and my kids. Great. Great. So yes, yes. Well, good. Well, speaking of um, getting back to it, we've got an awesome guest today. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Mr. Spencer White, um, who is the vice president um, of the Saucony Human Performance and Innovation Lab, which is this awesome little not little, quite large, um, setup where they, you know, test everything from the newest pair of Kinvaras to their sports bras to everything. Um, and he's also like a biomechanical specialist. So uh, he's a great resource and we're thrilled to have him on. And we're going to start talking with Spencer when we get back from this short break. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been looking forward to this. Good, good. So uh, we have to ask, are you a father runner? Well, I'm a father, the runner, not so much these days, but, uh, the, the father part, I have two, uh, sons, 27 and 24, mm-hmm. uh, the almost, almost out of the house. Almost sort of out standing. of the house. Just one more push yeah. out of the nest, right? One more little push. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's actually out of the house, but not out of the wallet. It's just oh, <laughs> even worse, even worse. Well, so what, what is your running background? Did you, are you a former runner or tell us kind of, um, how you, how you landed where you are? Well, uh, so running for me was, has always been training for other sports. I was a cross-country skier in college and a rower and uh, continued coaching for a while after college, coaching skiing, um, but got interested in how people run and jump and move and how could we teach these kids to, to ski more effectively and started going back to grad school for, from that perspective, trying to understand how people move and how we can help them move. And then sort of really just fell into the footwear business uh, and when I decided I'd had enough of school. And uh, it really took it, honestly, as a summer job. Uh, wow. Uh, I wasn't necessarily fascinated by shoes. But once I got into it, I realized how many really interesting puzzles and problems there are to solve and how many layers, not just trying to understand the human body, but trying to understand the materials and the manufacturing and, of course, the the storytelling as well, the marketing and how can we communicate the benefits, uh, to, to, um, to runners. It, it just, it's an endlessly, uh, puzzling series of, of issues that come up every day. So here yeah. I am 30 years later, still, still, still on my yeah. summer job. Well, and so tell us, I mean, so do you have a, a PhD and like, or what would tell us what degree, like what is the movement degree? So it's a master's in, in, exercise science, really more physiology, honestly, than biomechanics, although I did do a lot of biomechanics as well. Okay. I I think, to be honest, I've learned most of what I know on the job by hiring and working with a lot of really smart people and consultants and so on over the years. Yeah. And was it your first summer job at Saucony? Or have you worked at a bunch of different companies? No, with another company. uh, Unnamed. Actually with Reebok. When they, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oops, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was with Reebok, but that was way back in the early '80s when they were just small and growing quickly. Oh, that was the that was the aerobic Velcro, you know, yeah. strap yeah, stage, right? right? Did right. you did you have a, yeah. a part in that? Did you study the motion control yeah, and, of and, a lot of women grapevining and how uh, leg leg warmers affected maybe biomechanics or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> 
we actually did do work on aerobic shoes. That, that's true. Yep. But then a lot of basketball and tennis worked on all kinds of uh, pump. putting plastic the pump. in shoes. Yeah, the pump. I, I'm one of the patent oh. holders on various versions of that. Oh my goodness. And, and yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I spent, I, the way I like to put it is I spent the first half of my career cramming as much plastic stuff into shoes as I could. <laughs> and the, luckily the last 10 years taking it back out again, which is, uh, a lot more fulfilling. Awesome. awesome. Nice. Nice. So tell us about the work you do in, in your lab. You know, uh, is it just, and, and is it work with, you know, middle and back of the pack runners or are just the, you know, elites and sub elites that are running through your lab? We look at all types of runners, honestly. I mean, most of our time is spent looking at the kind of people who are, we expect to be buying our shoes. So it's not the elites because frankly, we pay them to wear our shoes. So, <laughs> We, we do get them in here, but really when we have the elites in, it's more to help them understand their stride and, and uh, work with um, their coaches and their PTs. Um, but you do learn things from, from elite athletes that, that raise questions that you can explore further when you're looking at, at the rest of us. But, but the, really the focus of the lab is, is trying to understand runners. It's not really specifically on understanding shoes as much as it is trying to understand the running stride and how it is that we can all – move so differently when we're all trying to do basically the same thing. Yeah. And, and then of course how shoes and, and apparel work with runners. But the, well, the most interesting part of this these days is, is trying to, is the fact that we're studying runners whole bodies and their entire stride, not just looking at their feet and their ankles. And so just tell us about, I mean, I, I've, uh, I, I got to do the, the Saucony Stride Lab at the Boulder Running Company here in um, Denver. Um, but then I've also, just through my other work, I've gotten to be, you know, with like the Olympic Training Center and some other places where there's super cool labs, like the ones that you guys have. So just tell us about like how many cameras you have and what, you know, and how, you know, geek, a, geek out a little bit and tell us all about your technology. <laughs> I can do that. So we have basically the, the kind of tools you need to measure motion. So we have a, a motion capture system. It's the exact same system they use when they're creating animation for special effects in, in video games and Hollywood movies. So it's eight cameras that uh, we put little reflective markers all over the runner, and these cameras track the motion of these markers. And then the software that uh, is part of the system can uh, triangulate the location of each of those markers and in 3D space, and from that we can infer here's how the runner's joints are moving. So, for example, at the knee, we're not just looking at how you, what we call bending, uh, uh, flexing, and extending it. We can also look at how your lower leg twists underneath your uh, um, underneath your thigh and how it bends in and out as well. So it's a three-dimensional rotation at each of the joints of the body that we're looking at. And then the really interesting thing, and this is what you got to experience, was running on a treadmill that measures the ground reaction forces. So it has sensors built into it that measure how hard you're pushing against the ground, um, how hard you hit the ground, and then how hard you push against it to lift yourself back up again. And it's the combination of those two things, measuring the forces and the motions, that really gives us a, a much more accurate picture of how runners move and how um, different runners uh, can can seem to be running at the same pace, but really doing things that are quite different. Sure, sure. And we also have other sets of sensors. I'm sorry, we have other sensors that um, uh, we can slide inside the shoe to measure what we call uh, pressure distribution. We have sensors you can put on the muscles to measure their activity. They're called EMG or electromyogram sensors. 
Um, we have a metabolic cart that measures how much energy you're, it takes to burn at a certain speed. Um, you've all probably seen pictures of runners with a mask over their face and tubes coming out of the mask. That's what, what we do with that. And we have a 3D scanner and infrared cameras and uh, all kinds of little stretch sensors. So, um, it, you know, that all kinds of very sophisticated equipment, but nothing anywhere near as sophisticated as the runners are that we're bringing in. And I don't mean uh, sophisticated intellectually necessarily. It's the, <laughs> <clears throat> that didn't come out right. <laughs> no, I, I, we get what you're saying. We're complicated creatures, right? I mean, I yeah, think you yeah. kind of summed it up. Like we're all just trying to do the what feels like a very simple motion, but go watch a marathon, and holy cow, there's not there aren't two yeah. pieces that are alike, right? Exactly, and and thank goodness because that's what keeps me employed. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we were all the same way, it'd be very easy to to figure out how to to make a shoe to work with people. Yeah, yeah. So is there, you sort of alluded to it about the, the different styles, but is there such a thing as a perfect stride or no? No, I don't believe there is. I think um, our bodies, not only are, are each of our bodies unique, but our bodies are constantly changing as well. Hmm. And every time you um, uh, get out of the bed in the morning, you're a little bit different than, than you were the previous morning. Uh, and Things obviously major events like say having a kid certainly mm-hmm. changes your body. But <laughs> I, um, I have no but idea so what does, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Sure. But so does getting stronger. So does you know starting a new training program. So does starting to ride a uh, a bicycle or skiing in the winter. Each of those changes the strength and mobility in your and um, around each of your body joints. And your body is really smart at figuring out how to move given the constraints it feels. So we oftentimes see, for example, people who come in to the lab and we collect all this data and we look at their stride and we really see differences between what their right side and their left side is, is doing, uh, which is actually that's the way almost all of us are. And, and oftentimes they'll say, oh, yeah, I, got a, I had a knee injury there 10 years ago or my, this ankle I twisted you know, three years ago. And what happens is our bodies learn to run to avoid pain or to take the stress off a certain part of our body. And then when that, whatever that tissue was injured is, is, is cured, we don't instantly go back to our old way of moving. We still move the way we learned to move. So sort of the, the older you get, the more you accumulate these adaptations and um, you get you know, more, more and more asymmetric. And you can see it when you watch people run the you know, younger kids, Kids running are, are just, they look smoother, they look bouncier, they look more mm-hmm. symmetric than the rest of us. <laughs> maybe the rest not of us quite limping so along at the back of the pack. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they look so effortless. That's the thing. Yeah. Watching kids run, it's so joyful, right? Because it just yeah. looks so effortless compared to what it feels like from the inside for me, you know, yeah, or for, you know. Really, yeah. Really powerful words, I think. Joyful and effortless. And I think one of the things we're focusing on and trying to, um, figure out the right way to, to work with the running community in general is how can we get everybody to feel that way when they're running? Yeah. And, and there's first you have to be aware of what the constraints that your body is experiencing are, you know, why are you moving the way you're, you're moving? And that's, that's the, the goal behind things like the stride lab that you mentioned out in Denver is, is to pr- be able to provide that sort of feedback to runners. But then we need to also go to the next step, which is what do you do about it? Can you really improve your body can you improve your stride in a way that makes running feel more effortless and feel more joyful? And, and we strongly feel the answer is yes, really, no matter what age you are and how long you've been running, 
there's things you can do to improve your stride um, and and improve your body so that you can have a better stride. Yeah. Well, so so what are some things? I mean, so you, there's no such thing as a perfect stride, but are there certain things that are like, you know, certain tenets or ideas that, you know, could apply to a lot of people to make it feel more effortless? Sure. I think that the first thing is to understand running is, uh, I, to simplify it down a lot, is running is bouncing. So you're flying through the air and you stick a leg out in front of you and you land on that leg and that leg and you sink down and then you, your leg is storing energy, hopefully without creating a shockwave traveling through your body. So you store some energy and then you, you use that energy you've stored and some extra muscle power to lift yourself back up in the air again and, and just far enough so you have time to swing your other leg forward. So it's a, this bouncing from one leg to the other. And the first half of contact, you're absorbing energy and the second half, you're returning it. So that's part, that's one way of looking at running. And then the next part is the fact that we run on one leg at a time and that the other leg has to be swinging through means you have this big hunk of meat that's swinging through the air that wears, <laughs> wears a fair bit and it causes your body to twist. So you have to deal, so running is bouncing, but it's also twisting and you have to be able to control the twisting and control the way energy is absorbed as you land. And so things that need to be consistent for people to run effectively is they need to have good control of their body's ability to twist. And most of that control is happening around their midsection. Uh, I, you know, the, there's a word core that's overused, but it is that center part of your body, I think, is the important place that runners tend to ignore and they need to start paying a lot more attention to. So what are the main determinants of, of having an enjoyable running stride? One is that good core control. A simple way of looking at that is, are your hips, is the unsupported hip dropping? I think we looked at that a little bit when, uh, when you were down in the stride lab. Yes, we um, did. And we did. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's not, not that you're trying to hold your um, hips on exactly the same plane throughout your stride. They should drop a little bit, or they often do, but um, not too much. And uh, specifically, not one side a whole lot more than the other is the important thing there. Um, and that's, so and that's, that's one. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Then we'll go back to your other point. But I mean, because that's one thing that, um, you know, I, I pat myself on the back because you were really impressed with it. And I said, well, I've been doing Pilates for like three or four years at that point. I think we, yeah. we met a year ago and, and you're like, not many mothers, you know, can't have the kind of hip control that you do, which is not, wasn't, it's not conscious that I have that. It's just that it's, it's just come over time by being really diligent about Pilates. So, I mean, I mean, do you see like a drop? I mean, I, you know, studying different people, like the women that are not mothers versus the women that are mothers and the, and their hip strength and their hip mobility. I mean, is that like you narrow it down to that much or not? Yeah, no, for now, of course, there's everybody's different, but sure. given that, um, actually, we just had a woman in uh, yesterday, the day before, who is a pretty fast runner trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. So she's pretty serious about what she's doing. And um, I actually had worked with her before a little bit and before she had her first child. And she came in, this is almost uh, 12 months out now, and uh, she's running faster than she ever did, but she, her her control was through her midsection was much worse than it used to be. And mm -hmm. she was shocked. She, had, she didn't really realize that. And said, well, there's, there's a reason for it. You know, it's not like something uh, you've done wrong. It's just, you have to keep working on 
return your body back to its ability to, to move effectively. And so Pilates is great, but um, uh, it's not just about strengthening those, the muscles there. It's also about learning to use them at the right time. Hmm. So there, there's, a, there's a skill involved as well. And, and, and how, you know, would somebody, like, how would somebody go about working on that then? Well, one simple thing is uh, one way to try and understand how uh, uh, your sort of the state of your of your ability to control is just stand on one leg, and are you able to stand uh, uh, comfortably and without any uh, without putting your other foot down? Um, just stand on that one leg, and if you can do that, great. Now try bending your knee a bit, going into a little bit of a squat, and can you do that e- easily? And th- that's actually the same exercise to learn to gain some more control is. Just standing on one leg and move up and down, you know, bouncing your knee just a little bit, not bouncing, wrong word, flexing your knee a little bit. And your, your teaches your brain to pay attention to how your body weight is aligned over your foot is, is really what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Now, standing is different than running. You know, you, you're, when you're running, your foot is in contact with the ground for only about a quarter to a third of a second. So everything happens much more quickly when you're running. But if you can't do it when you're just standing, then you're probably going to have even more trouble doing it when you're running. So that's the place to start is standing single leg squats. I'm doing it. I, I found doing them in front of the mirror is really helpful because that's sometimes hard. I feel like I'm aligned and then you look, you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually really dropped on one hip. So watch, you know, really watching yourself, <laughs> being that's, that vain person perfect. at the gym, exactly. you know? <laughs> yeah. <You're> like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's okay if you're doing it to make sure you're moving correctly, not okay, just that you okay. look good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure you do look good. But yeah, yeah. Well, and so what were some other things? Because we kind of diverted a little bit to hip strength, but you were talking. Are there other you know basic things that you can think about when you're trying to trying to run with less effort? Yep. The uh, and the other thing is you have to have enough mobility in your uh, in your the front of your hips and in the back of your legs, so your, your hamstrings and your gastroc and soleus in the back of your calf, um, so that you can get your leg back behind you, so that, you know, you, you land, we, we'll talk about landing in a second, but let's say you've landed, you've stabilized yourself, and now all the power of running is the next part, is where the, you're pushing back against the ground, down into the ground and back a little bit, and if you don't have good flexibility in, your, in the back of your leg or if your hip flexor is really tight in the front of your leg, you can't get good extension out the back. So um, you either lift your leg up too soon, which means you lose a lot of power, or now you start twisting your body in, a, in, a, in an ineffective way to uh, give yourself a little more backward push. So making sure you're flexible down the back of your leg is really important and in the front of your leg. Uh, yeah, up in the front of your hip. Um, and then the other is that your, your big toe has to flex easily enough as well. Um, if your big toe doesn't flex as your foot rolls up, um, you're going to start twisting your foot to the side, uh, twisting your ankle towards the middle, um, which can lead to lots of other problems, as you can imagine. So th- there's some basic, you know, having the strength to stabilize yourself in mid-stance, having the ability to get your leg out the back uh, at the end of your stride, and um, having a, a, a big toe that flexes as well are, are all sort of pretty basic to be able to enjoy running. If you don't, if you don't have the ability to do those things, you have to compensate somehow by twisting your body in a way that increases your risk of being uncomfortable. Here, hearing you talk, uh, I'm brought back to last fall when I was trying to requalify for Boston and I ha- had a coach and she had me doing so many drills and they were a lot of hip strengtheners, a lot of 
kind of hip openers and just really working on being more agile and nimble, which I am not in real life. And, um, I just, and I just remember she was always like, okay, Sarah, I don't care. You're, you, you say you look dorky doing it, but you're going to have, you know, positive gains from it. And, um, I mean, I definitely think that that was the difference between me being able to qualify for Boston and, and missing out on that. It just makes it just a, such a tremendous difference. And, you know, it's sometimes people say, well, running is simple. We, you, you don't want to overcomplicate it. Just get your shoes on and get out the door. And I totally agree with that last sentiment. But by far the most important thing about running is that you do it. But if you're, once you're doing it, it's really important to realize that you actually need to – or you'll enjoy it much more if you work on having a body that is built to run as opposed to just going out the door and slogging through the miles every day. And so, you know, shifting your, your priorities a little bit. So some days um, you're spending uh, a few, a little bit longer working on your, on your body strength and mobility um, before you start to run or after you start to run, wherever it fits in for you um, is, is uh, in the long run going to make you enjoy the, the sport a lot more. Yeah, it can be so it can be so tough because, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be out there. I want to be running. And I, you know, I, if I have 50 minutes to exercise, I want to run for all 50 minutes. And then it's like, oh, no, it's doing those five, 10 minutes of drills or rolling or doing some some core exercises, you know, even on your back porch, something like that. That's going to make the, more of a difference than than getting in that last half mile or last mile. It, it, exactly. And in fact, a lot of times, if you don't do that work, that last half mile or the end of your run when you're fatigued is when you're most likely to start breaking down. That's when your body mm-hmm. is losing its ability to control itself because you are, you're fatigued. I mean, your muscles are really what's providing all this control. Mm-hmm. So as they tire, you're less able to, to maintain a, a good alignment. So it, it's, it, we, need a, we need a somehow to shift people's understanding what running is to include or what being a runner is to include this kind of work and it's not just about putting in the miles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so before we move on, I have a quick question for you. Um, so, so you talked about, um, having a flexible back of, you know, flexible hamstrings and then your toe, your big toe, um, the ability to flex that. So if you don't have those things, I mean, is, is it like a yoga thing for the hamstrings and then the toe, do you just kind of work on it slowly to try to get some more movement in it? I mean, if those if people listen and they're like, oh, I, I'm bad at that, what, what, what would you recommend doing? Yeah, yeah. so uh, yoga is fantastic, um, uh-huh. but you don't, uh, but the, the basic stretches that, that everybody knows work, you just need to hold them longer than most people think you do. You need to hold a position for around three minutes and for you know, a few times a week for 12 weeks before you can actually really start to measure dramatic changes in the mobility around in certain motions. So it takes time and discipline, but we're runners, right? We have that. So Mm. I think it's just understanding that it's worth doing that work and you can change your body. You can not just get stronger. You can also get more mobile and get better control. I have to say, um, you really hit home when you talked about that big toe mobility and, and flexion. Um, I'm just coming out of uh, a cast from a couple fractures in my ankle, and uh, I'm still wearing a boot. And I had my first session with a PT last week, and she was like, "Oh yeah, this is a problem that that your big toe is kind of locked in place." And so she just, you know, has me doing things just right now. And, you know, so it's just the start of PT, but just kind of pulling on my um, big toe to kind of pull, get it out of its 
not out of its joint, but, you know, kind of loosen that joint up a little bit and then just like curling my big toe down and holding it there and then flexing it back and holding it there and just moving it back and forth. So I've Great. actually been watching the World Cup and, and I get so nervous when USA <laughs> plays. And so so here I am. It's like my nervous twitch. It's like, pull on the big toe. Okay, now curl the big toe. Now flex it back. And so, I mean, I've been doing like 90 That's minutes right. of toe therapy practically. <laughs> That, that's it, it, you're going to feel the benefit from that for sure. It's uh, especially when you're coming off an injury. It's so important to get mobile as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, so one thing we didn't talk about yet, which is also really important, is how you land. Mm. Yeah, and there's let's all talk kinds about that. of there's all kinds of misinformation and myths and so on out there. But there there are some consistent um, alignments that we see seem to be the lower stress way of, of hitting the ground. And certainly the first of those is you should land with a, with a flexed knee. You don't want to be landing with your leg completely straight um, because then there's nothing to absorb that impact other than a shock wave traveling up through your bones and compressing the cartilage in your joints. So a, a flexed knee is, mu- is the first thing. And how do you know if your knee is flexed? Uh, it's really hard to tell when you're running yourself. You can't it's a hard thing to sense. And um, the best advice, I think, is generally if you feel like you land, if you're a real hard striker, and how do you know that? Well, if you run on a treadmill and everybody turns to look at you when you, when you get on the <laughs> treadmill, you know, when you, you know, if you're really creating a lot of sound when your foot hits the ground, that means you're landing with a significant shock. And that probably isn't a good thing. Now, there's no great data that says you want to land with no shock at all. But um, it, it makes sense that somebody who's landing really hard um, probably could learn to land more softly and might be happier doing so. Uh, so. So it's great if you can have somebody watch you, and especially if, if they have a higher speed video to take a picture of you from the side, running on a treadmill or running over ground. Uh, luckily, some of the newer smartphones and, and um, iPads, things like that, that can actually take pictures at 200 frames a second, which is Mm. fast enough to really look at the position of your body as it hits the ground. Mm. Standard video uh, is really too slow to look and see exactly how your body's aligned when it hits. So now now, what's important is landing with a flexed knee, which means landing with you pretty much with your knee over your ankle. Uh, It doesn't really matter whether you're landing on your heel or forefoot, however. It does change a little bit how your body, which part of your body has to absorb the impact, but one is not more efficient. One is not a higher risk of injury. It, it just there's just a little bit of a shift from uh, injuries to the front of your leg to injuries to the back of your leg. So specifically, if you land on your heel, the muscle on your front of your leg has to do a little bit of work to lower your foot to the ground. And if you land on your the ball of your foot, the muscles in the back of your leg do that work to lower your foot to the ground. But there's plenty of very very fast runners who are heel strikers. In fact, 85 percent of the uh, the runners uh, it, that have been studied in the U.S. are are heel strikers. So most people land on their heel. Yeah, that, um, no, that's so interesting. What's more important again is land. With, yeah, it's to or land with your heel knee. over your ankle. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so and so, one of the things I mean, so I was or I'm pretty close to that person. I'm not sure that I make 
you know, a crazy clomping noise on the treadmill, but um, I know that I'm a heavy striker or I, I, uh, I used to be, I'm trying to work on that. But, um, you know, when I'm on a trail and literally like, you know, a hundred yards down, somebody is turning around <laughs> looking at me like, oh my, like I'm, you know, like I'm breathing down their neck yeah. when in fact it, it's going to take me three minutes to catch up to them. So, um, so one of the things, I mean, you know, I did a chi running course and I know that that's, you know, a whole different conversation, but I mean, just light, quick steps, you know, especially uh, if you remember, I'm pretty tall. And so like just thinking about being yep. light on my feet and being quick makes a big difference and not just crashing, crashing, crashing all the time. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Again, I think our bodies are really smart. And if, if what you try and think of is I just want to land softly, I want to land quietly, your body will figure out how to do that. Now, when you're first learning to do that, you're going to run less efficiently. It's going to cost you more energy to run at the same speed. And, and it's, you're using muscles that you don't normally use. So you don't want to go out and say, okay, today I'm doing, I normally run three miles. Today I'm going to go out for three miles and run quietly. Uh, that, that probably is going to overstress muscles that aren't used to being stressed. But do it a little bit at a time. So, and particularly towards the end of your run, saying, okay, for the last, last, quarter mile or half mile, I'm going to try and really work on landing quietly and do that for a, a few weeks and then increase the distance. So gradual changes are really important when you're trying to modify your stride. And the other important word you said is quick. And I think, um, again, there's been a myth that everybody should run at 180 steps per minute, um, which is nothing wrong with that number, but it's not the right number for everybody. You have to find the step rate that works for you but if you do feel like you're crashing to the ground, trying taking shorter, quicker steps definitely decreases the forces uh, that you land with and also the amount of force you need to generate to push off the ground with. Yeah. So the, the, I, I really like, I think that's great advice and it's what I often tell people is, you, know, you, don't, you can come in the lab and we can do all this sophisticated analysis, but also you could just go out and listen to yourself run. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the, a really good feedback tool. Sure. Well, so, so here's the million dollar question. So there's somebody who, you know, who's listening right now and has never been injured, but might, you know, but, you know, might not have the most beautiful stride. It might be a little loud, might be whatever. Should they change anything? I mean, if you've never, I mean, because that's the big thing, right? Is we want to prevent injury because, you know, nothing is effortless and joyful when you're injured. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, yeah. so what do you, what do you, what, you know, how, how, who needs to think about things like that? You know, is, is it only if you're yeah. like, com, 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 you know, always running up against chronic injuries or different injuries happening to different parts of your body? So I think the, the starting point, it's sort of like doctors first do no harm. If you're happy running, you're running as much as you want and you're running as fast as you want and you're not hurt, then don't change a thing. Just get out there every day. That's great. If however, um, you're about to start training for for a lot more than you have, a lot more intensity or volume. If you're decided, okay, I'm going to run my first marathon or my first 10K or my first 5K or whatever it is, and you're not used to that same level of intensity, um, first advice is ramp up intensity slowly. But second is that is a good time to start working on all that body stuff we were talking about earlier because as you increase intensity, you're, you're increasing the stress on, on all the tissues in your body that are, are you using to run. And if you, you can get away with something when you're only running, say, 10 miles a week that might cause an injury if you're running 20 miles a week. So um, it, it's not true that just because you haven't been hurt yet, you're not going to get hurt if you start running uh, uh, more miles. 
Um, but it, we also, again, I, we don't want to make things complicated. We don't want to give people an excuse not to go out and run because they feel like they're running incorrectly. That's certainly not the case. Sure. If, you, if you're out there running, you're doing it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean you can't do it better, but at least you're doing yeah. it right. <laughs> right, right. right. So, uh, so let's let's change topics and let's talk shoe choice. You know, so let's say the women listening, you know, they're going to walk into a running specialty store. You know, you're faced by that wall of just you know a hundred different colors of shoes, and you know, with all f- fancy name technology. I mean, how how are runners supposed to find the right pair of shoes for them? Great. Yeah. Well, the, the first and most important thing is is go to the part of the wall that has Saucony's because that's, <laughs> right that's where you find your shoe and your strong, right? Yeah. So that's that. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right, we got that's the commercial right, yeah. over with. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Okay. I, I, they told me I had to say that once. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> the the first thing to, to recognize is when you go in there is that your body is the expert more than the sales clerk that is there to help you is. Hmm. Now, it, meaning you should listen to what your body is telling you. So first thing is comfort. First thing is that shoe needs to fit and don't worry about what the number or the size of the shoe is. In fact, I always tell people to find the shoe that seems right and then also try on a shoe that's half a size up from there just to make sure that, that bigger doesn't feel better. Because basically you want a shoe that gives your foot as much room as it can without feeling like you're sliding around inside there. I mean, you know, it used to be like, oh, well, you have, you know, give your shoes a couple miles to break in. Um, or maybe that was ski boots. I don't know. But I mean, but but we don't have that. That that doesn't exist anymore, right? Like a shoe should feel perfect from the time you try it on in the store, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Materials we make shoes out of now, they, they change a little bit over time, but really they maintain their shape and they're, they're not... Um, they shouldn't, you shouldn't feel like, oh, the shoe's going to get a lot looser over time because it, okay. it shouldn't. It should be feel pretty much the same from a fit standpoint from the beginning to the end of its life. So start with fit. Um, and then the question is always to, basically two questions. How much cushioning do I need and how much stability do I need? And let's talk about stability first because that's the one that always comes up. Uh, somebody looks at you and says, oh, you're an overpronator. We need to get you in a stability shoe. Well, my feeling is, um, and, and I think the data over the last 20, 30 years of research really supports this, is how much you pronate doesn't really matter. What matters is whether your body can handle how much you pronate. Hmm. And so some people pronate a lot. Their foot rolls in. Basically, pronation is your, the, the way your ankle rolls as your foot gets flat to the ground um, towards the middle of, of, your, of the body. So... Uh, there's plenty of people who pronate a lot and never have any problem at all, and other people who don't don't pronate very much, but they're only comfortable running in shoes with a little added stability. So uh, you can't just look at the shape of your foot and um, uh, and say, okay, I have a low sh- low foot, therefore I need a stability shoe, or I have a high arch, therefore I need I don't need stability, I just need cushioning. Um, so now, so the question is. How do you know if you need stability? And if you're an experienced runner, you've probably tried a few different types of shoes on, and you should stick with what's been working for you. But uh, one sign that you need stability, probably the most, the most powerful indication that you need some more stability in your shoe than you're getting is you have some pain along the inside, of your sh- the inside back of your shin. So the muscle that goes uh, from the inside of your shin there curves down underneath your ankle joint, attaches on the bottom of your foot, and it helps resist your foot rolling in. So as your foot pronates, that muscle gets, can be overstressed, 
and a shoe with stability, some added stability, some extra support on the medial side, the inside of the shoe, takes the load off of that muscle. So that, that means that if you have that discomfort, you put a shoe with some added stability on and that discomfort goes away, then you need that stability shoe, no matter how much your foot is pronating or not pronating. Another reason to, to look for stability shoes is if you take your worn shoes and you put them on a table and you look from behind at them and you see the heel is all collapsed to the inside. So the heel counter is really pushed in and the uh, midsole might even be collapsed on that side. Um, that's a sign that you'd be a lot more comfortable in a shoe with some added support there probably. And then the third thing is if in mid stance, and again, now this is when you need either somebody to watch you, or if you can run on a treadmill in front of a mirror or have somebody video you, um, from the front or from the back, if it mid stance, your knee is collapsed in towards the middle of your body. And that, that other hip that's off the ground is collapsing down in. That's a sign that you'd probably a would be happier in a stability shoe and b you need to start working on maintaining a more stable posture using your muscles around the center of your body okay so so that's the stability story is it's more complicated than than we'd like it to be but you don't need to worry that just because you somebody said you're a pronator that you have to run in a shoe with stability the 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 next thing to think about is cushioning yeah so we make shoes with a huge range of cushioning out there now. You can get a very minimal shoe up to these newer, more maximal shoes that are that are uh, large slabs of foam underneath your foot. So how do you know what you need, a lot or a little? And the answer to me is um, probably a little of both. It's, it's a good idea to have a few different shoes in your closet, uh, depending upon... Um, uh, and, and choose the right one for the right type of run you're doing. So if you're somebody who's running over 10 miles a week, let's say, and especially if you're running some days faster and some days slower. Uh, on faster days, it's nice to have a firmer shoe. It just, it feels better. It works with your stride better. And a firmer and shoe days have, would, be less, would be less cushioning, right? Yes, precisely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. A thinner shoe is another way to simplify mm -hmm. it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then on slower days or days when you're doing a recovery run uh, after a hard workout, having a shoe with more cushioning, a thicker shoe, makes sense. And the other benefit from having a few different types of shoes to run in is there's really good evidence that people who run in more than one model of shoe, different types of shoes on different days, uh, have a significantly reduced risk of injury, oh. which makes sense. It's just like, you know, you run on different surfaces, you run on different speeds, it loads your body differently. The, the shoes have that same effect. So running in uh, a softer shoe one day and a firmer shoe a different day changes how your body has to work. So you're distributing the stress more, you're making yourself stronger, and it, you're less liable to get hurt. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, so um, so what if somebody is more interested, say someone is, you know, maybe trying to PR in a half marathon, they're interested in speed work, you know, or, you know, trying to get into a more um, minimal shoe for their faster days, or conversely, maybe, you know, they're, they've been in a minimal shoe and they're thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I should get something that has a little bit more cush. I mean, can you just jump into those shoes and, and go for a run or is do they require a break-in period? I mean, when you're switching things up, you know, pretty significantly, what's, what's your advice there? Yeah. Two, w one really common mistake is to, uh, train in a, in a training shoe with, uh, reasonable mid middle level cushioning let's say and then for race day you put on a racing flat 
And the racing flat is often has a lower heel to forefoot offset. So the height of the heel is, is close to the height of the forefoot, which puts a lot more stress on the back of your calf. And it may be a lighter shoe, which is nice for going faster, but it doesn't have the same amount of cushioning. It, it's putting your body in a different position. And people oftentimes get hurt because they're racing in shoes that they're not used to running in. So if you do want to race in a racing flat, make sure you train in it occasionally as well. So your body is ready to run in that type of shoe. The, the main difference between a racing flat and a racing shoe and a training shoe is, uh, is typically it's the weight. People like racing shoes because they're significantly lighter. Now we know that uh, lots of studies have shown over the years that a three gram, I'm sorry, a three ounce difference, uh, which is about around 100 grams difference uh, in shoe weight me, uh, can reduce how much work your body has to do by about 1%. So for elite athletes, that's a huge difference and really important. For most of us, probably not that important. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've always slice. fallen on the side of, yeah, it's, it, you're better off staying protected than you are worrying about the weight of the shoe. So I always encourage people if you're, you know, if you're front of the pack or if you're really trying to, you know, if you're trying to qualify for an important race or, you know, it's okay, make sure you use a racing flat, make sure you're used to running in it first. But for most of us, we're really better off racing in a shoe with a little more protection. Yeah. I was about to say, I don't think that there's anyone listening here. <laughs> maybe, maybe, a, yeah. maybe there's 1% here that just switches to a racing flat, but I think, you know, we are more you know, I think above all people don't want to get injured and they want, and they want what is comfortable and, um, and is familiar to them. Right. Um, and they know it's yeah. going to work. Great. Yep. Comfort is king. Absolutely right. And the other thing to keep in mind, of course, is when you're racing, you're pushing yourself harder than normal theoretically. And that means your muscles are more fatigued than you're used to running with, which means that you're losing control. Of, you tend to lose control of your stride specific, especially in the latter end of a race. So uh, even more reason to make sure you're wearing shoes that protect you at that point. Sure, sure. Well, so how do you know when you need a new pair of running shoes? I mean, and this is, that's another really hard question, but you know, like the two, three to 400 miles, but you know, but every shoe is so different. And, you know, I mean, weight is different. Stride is different. Like how, is there like any kind of universal rules to know when it's time to head back and grab another pair? I think, you know, that I, as we, we, we always hesitate to give a specific mileage out of the shoe because everybody is so different and the way we wear shoes is different. Some people wear out the outsole, some people wear through the upper, some uh, just uh, crush the midsole. So we typically say the best thing to do is to try on a new pair of shoes and see how much better it feels. Again, rely on your body <laughs> to tell you that it works. I mean, I'm going to need a new pair you know, of shoes after every run, Spencer. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be expensive for Saucony because they always feel yeah. so good, a new pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, and some of that is, is, um, is the sock liner, which tends to break down a little more quickly than the rest of the shoe. Sometimes you just replacing a sock liner makes the shoe feel like new again. So, you know, the 500 miles is a reasonable amount to get out of a training shoe. Some people are going to wear, wear if they're particularly heavy heel striker or they they slide their foot as it hits the ground a little bit. They might wear it out in 300 miles. Other people get 800 miles out of a shoe. Uh, but it's really if the sh you, you want to replace the shoe before you start to notice that it's not feeling good, that you're starting to get aches and pains in your right. knees, or your hips or something at the end of the run. If you get to that point, then you've definitely gone too far. Yeah. Well, what, and here's and, another question. Oh, go ahead. 
you want to. I was going to say, and that's another advantage to having a few different shoes uh, in your closet to pick from is if one shoe really feels dramatically better than the other on one day, then you, it makes you realize, well, maybe it's time to get rid of that the one that doesn't feel so good. And then do shoe, do sh do shoes really need like kind of recovery time? You know, and, and I'm wondering, particularly in the in the heat, you know, so that if maybe people are leaving their shoes out, yeah. you know, behind their back on their back porch or something like that. So do the do modern day materials really need, you know, time to like plump back up or whatever? Yeah, no, they need <laughs> they need time to cool down. That's oh. it. So once it's really completely temperature related. So mm. as as foams absorb impact, they heat up a little bit with every time your foot hits the ground. And so as you're running, the shoe's actually getting warmer and warmer. And when you stop, foam's a really good insulator. That's what we insulate our, our houses with. Um, so it takes a while for the shoe to cool back down to uh, whatever room temperature or the outdoor outside temperature is. Um, but uh, it, it, we're talking an hour or two, not days or not 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is is you want the upper to uh, dry out as well. Mm -hmm. But again, that happens pretty quickly, mm -hmm. except on really humid days, I suppose. I was going to say, here in the Pacific Northwest, sometimes it can take a little yeah, time. Yeah, well, yeah, good point. <laughs> yep. Drag out the newspaper. Shoe dryers work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, so this may not be your area of expertise, but one question, just because I know people are like, okay, they're talking shoes, because there is a lot of frustration and not, and it's not just Saucony, it's every brand. So you're like, oh my gosh, I love the Ride 6. And you go back and all of a sudden the Ride 7 is there. Like, can you talk a little bit about the, the you know, the thinking behind switching up models of shoes um, on what seems like a, a pretty seasonal basis? Sure. Uh, so I just want to say the Ride 7 is even better than the Ride 6. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> so the reason, the reason we do, we basically update every model once a year. And the okay. reason we do that is if we don't, people stop buying them. It's as simple as that. Uh, okay. People, uh, the, you know, that's the sales numbers are, are what we have to pay attention to. Now, for a shoe like the Ride and the Guide, which are our two core models, when we update them, we, try, we test them on runners who are currently running in either the Ride or the Guide. And we make sure that the new shoe, they like at least as much, if not better, than the previous one. So we do a ton of testing on... Uh, the people who we expect to be buying the shoes when they go into a store. And there's some of the updates are cosmetic and some are functional. And the functional ones to tend to happen more slowly. We tend to, you know, tweak a, find a new foam or change your construction or um, uh, figure out a, a, a last that's going to fit a little bit better. And every time we do that, it's going to work. Our, our goal is to make it work better for most people. But of course, every time we do that, there's some people it's not going to work as well as the previous one did. So it's you a, it's a balance haters, act for us. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. for the people that are unsatisfied and the people that are like, oh, it's fine. Then they, they don't yeah. say anything. It's like, where did my ride six go? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's true. And we, but honestly, we appreciate the people who care enough to comment. You know, we're we're always looking for those those picky runners who can only run in one type of shoe or. Or think they can anyway. So sure, uh, we'd like to say discriminating. Discriminating, not picky. Discriminating, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> finely tuned machines. Yes. Yep. Yes. Well, great. Well, thanks for spending time talking with us, Spencer. This was interesting. Oh, this is fun. Thanks. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. 
One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Okay, so we're gonna um, head over to a different corner of the shoe store, our running specialty store, to, to hit the challenge corner. Um, again, this is a find your strong challenge, and um, we are hitting the run walk group this week. Um, Aubreen had an awesome goal that I wanted to share. Um, she has, I, she writes, um, I have a random secondary goal to be close or be able to do a pull up at the end of this challenge. I know it makes no sense with running, but it's something I want to be able to do again. And she said, not since the sixth grade has this happened. And then she thought it might help her balance. She thought it might help balance her training in some ways. Does anyone else have other goals during this challenge? She's asking. And there were two that I wanted to share. Um, the first one is from Tammy, who wants to um, be able to do a pull-up as well. She says, I'm almost able to do one. But my main goal is to follow the plan and get it done, which, you know, we love that. Yeah. Have you ever been able to do a pull-up, Sarah? Oh, my gosh, Tim. So when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I remember what those are. When I was... Um, let me think about this. I think it was when after my divorce and I was rowing and I had some discretionary income and I paid for a trainer for a while. And I said at the time that I wanted to be able to do a, a pull up. And so I think she got me able to do two. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, I didn't have any kids. I had a lot of time on my hands. I was <laughs> rowing, uh, you know, with a very highly competitive team and, um, yeah, no, how about, how about you? I, oh, I, I don't think I've ever done one in my life. I mean, I am, you know, I mean, so of course I fall back on the height thing, you know, because it's like, that's a long way to go. I mean, I look at these little <laughs> yeah. gymnasts that can like, you know, pop a, you know, somersault or a front flip, no problem. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got a lot to flip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'd like to be able to do one, but honestly, I mean, you know, I think, I mean, so the bent, going back to the bent arm hang, you know, in the high school gym class, I mean, that still gives me nightmares. And I, and I honestly don't think I ever got over like seven seconds, you know, and there was like, you know, and I had all these little gymnast friends, there was like some limit, like, if you got to a minute, you just got to jump down because you were at the like 100 percentile, you know, wow. and I think like all my, not all my friends, but I have vivid memories of a couple of them just like hanging there like chatting you know for a minute <laughs> meanwhile I'm like seven seconds just let me to keep my chin above the bar shaking sweat beating just, on your oh, brow it's so dang hard <laughs> so no the answer to that is no I I you know every once in a while I get on a kick when I'm doing strength training and you know we have the assisted weight one at the gym mm, yeah. you know oh, so you yeah. can get on your knees and do it and I mean I you know I I can do that, but you know, I'm lifting like a third of my body weight, yeah, yeah, yeah. The but it does feel good. There's something really like, just like crisp and like, Oh, you know, about uh -huh. like doing them. I just love that. It's just like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going, yeah. you know, it's like different than say, you know, bicep curls or something like that. It feels more intense. I have to say, um, one benefit of, uh, being injured and using a walker for, um, um, uh, about six weeks, my upper body's so much stronger than it, it was oh, in, good. in April. Yeah. And so I, um, am able to do a push up so much better and, you know, like hold like a, and get a lot lower on it and the whole thing. And so I'm trying to capitalize on that a little bit and do more upper body strength training. That's so, great. So I don't know. So maybe I'll jump in with 
Aubrey. Yeah. 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 That uh-huh. would be awesome. I, I want a video of it when you do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, please. Of course. <laughs> you know, Instagram video. Here I come if I'm able to ever do it. Um, so, and then uh, uh, to Aubrey's post, um, Tammy chimed in and she said, I want to be able to do a pull up as well. Have almost been able to do one. My main goal is to follow the plan and get it done, which is a goal that we wholeheartedly endorse within the challenge. Yeah. And if you can do a pull up on the other side, that's awesome. Um, and then Donna's goal is, um, I need to lose weight. I know people say that training does not always mean weight loss, but I need to get some weight off for the good of my running as well as my health. I live in a community that comes alive with ice cream, fried clams, lobster, et cetera, in the summer, and all of our out-of-town guests want to enjoy it. So I'm working on saying no thank you and opting for a lighter, balanced plate. I'm a stress eater and like to focus on swapping that out to be a stress runner instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, there's, a lot of good, there's a lot of good in this. I mean, it is hard in the summertime when you have people come in and you want to entertain them. And you're like, I mean, even whether you're traveling or being the host, I mean, you know, you just got back from Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. your diet, it doesn't get screwed up, but it's like, you know, there's some certain things that, um, well, you give yourself, are hard. you give yourself, I find I give myself Liberty, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, well I'm in Chicago and I, and of course I have to go to scooters and have an ice cream, you know, a custard concrete, which was so delicious. What's a like, custard concrete? So, oh my gosh. So oh, it's, it's like a mix-in thing. Yes, it is. And, and they're special this, uh, for June, I guess I just caught it on the tail end of it was, um, they smushed in chocolate covered pretzels to oh. uh, the vanilla custard. And so it had this salty, chocolatey. Oh, it was so good. But, and, and also, though it wasn't all that big, the small I'd read on Yelp, you know, that people were like, don't get the large, it's way huge. So, um, so it was a, a real, real treat. But yeah, but, you know, it, it definitely, you know, that, that mentality of, oh, I'm on vacation or, oh, my friends are on vacation, you know, yes, it, can, yes. it, can, it can add up. So, um, so, well, um, in the thought of um, Aubreen and, and Tammy and others maybe being able to do um, a pull-up, our song for this week is Hallelujah by Panic at the Disco. Get the disco, Sarah. <laughs> ah, I'm at the disco. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I would panic these days. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't dance. I'm 43 years old and I never knew how to dance. And now I really don't know how to oh, dance. Oh, if only I could dance as well in, in real life as I do in my head. Oh my oh, gosh. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, Bethany, who did, um, yeah, you know, Boston, ran Boston for us. Yeah. 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 So she posted something on Facebook that was so funny. And I can't remember if there was a video or not, but it was like, you know, from like a New Year's Eve thing. And she was like, you know, here I am thinking I'm all hot and looking (laughs) sexy. And, you know, and then you like watch the video and you're like, Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. You know, like, I, did that I, in look, public. I look yeah. like that. Yeah. I look like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just put, never let me put, put, you know, cement balls on my feet. So I never dance again. 
Oh my goodness. Well, if you want to share, you know, videos of, of yourself dancing or maybe comments or something. Or, or are you running? We want to see some of those running videos, yeah. you know, from the side. We want to see your knee bend. Oh yeah. 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 There we go. Um, share that please on our Facebook page, which is run like a mother, the book. We would appreciate if you would like our page. Our two websites are anothermotherrunner.com and motherrunnerstore.com and motherrunner store is where you can sign up still for the 10 K or half marathon challenge. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at The Mother Runner. Our three books, Run Like a Mother, Train Like a Mother, and The New Tales from Another Mother Runner are all available on Amazon, as well as hopefully at your independent bookstore. And um, whatever your stride is, many happy miles to you. Anik at the disco. (laughs) 